0: Welcome to The Well Woman Show, where we use intersectional feminism, mindfulness, leadership, and strategy to support smart women to change the world without anxiety, insecurity, and burnout.
1: When you must be there for someone you love versus your obligation in the workplace. And it is perfectly possible for people to do both, If and I have always run the organizations I lead on the premise
0: that family comes first. On the show, we challenge the status quo and support you to unlearn harmful messages that keep you playing small so you can activate your superpowers and live with joy, confidence, and ease. I'm your host, Giovanna Rossi. On The Well Woman Show this week, I talked to Anne-Marie Slaughter, the CEO of New America. She was the first female director of policy planning for the United States Department of State and served as Dean of Princeton's Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. And she was a professor of law at Harvard Law School. She's written or edited seven books, including Unfinished Business, Women, Men, Work and Family. In 2012, she published Why Women Still Can't Have It All in the Atlantic, which quickly became one of the most read articles in the history of the magazine and helped spark a renewed national debate on the continued obstacles to genuine full male-female equality. Now, I talked to Anne-Marie way back in early March before all of the COVID crisis uh, really impacted us. Uh, It was my last interview in the studio and so this conversation, uh, since it happened before COVID, we won't be referring to anything. However, I think it's still really relevant based on her background and what we talk about. Um, We talk about things like why she chose to be an entrepreneur, why uh, that work involves investing in others and isn't considered really important, but it should be, and why treating employees as capable adults makes better employees overall. This is all going to be super helpful as we move into the fall here where schools are starting. A lot of listeners are still working from home and managing um, online schooling for their kids. So it's a very interesting time uh, to hear this interview, particularly from Anne-Marie Slaughter, who you know, has been publishing on wi- women and work and family for many years. You can get all the show notes at wellwomanlife.com slash 213show. And you can continue the conversation with us over in the Well Woman Life community group at wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook. The Well Woman Show is thankful for support from the Well Woman Academy and High Desert Yoga. I'm speaking with Anne-Marie Slaughter today. Welcome to the show.
1: I'm delighted to talk to you.
0: Anne-Marie, I want to start, you know, we heard in the introduction all about your bio and uh, everything that listeners need to know about you before listening to this interview, some of the the highlights of your work. But I want to dig right into... um, Who are you in the world today?
1: (laughs) Oh, what a great question. So I'm writing a new book and I actually started a uh, chapter saying you can tell a great deal about people through their Twitter handles, because when somebody puts a Twitter handle, they don't put their resume, they put who they think they are. So you get people saying, I'm a connector, I'm a change maker, I'm a problem solver, uh, all sorts of things that aren't job descriptions, but are people descriptions. And mine says Uh, Patriot first and that's for a lot of reasons we can discuss but second entrepreneur and that's who I am in the world I, after 60 years, I've realized I'm most fundamentally an entrepreneur.
0: Oh, that's so interesting because you also head up a nonprofit organization and you're a a professor and an author and all kinds of things, but you identify as an entrepreneur and you're a mom too, of course. Yes, absolutely. And yes, I've been a professor and I will
1: always teach and write uh, in some way, but I consider myself to be an entrepreneur at the head of an organization that uh, came into life as a think tank, a, a an organization that does research on policy questions like education policy or work policy or work and life or foreign policy, and we are transforming into something new, something that's not existed before. And that's really what an entrepreneur is. An entrepreneur is somebody who brings something new into the world, and you can do that for money or you uh, sort of for profit or nonprofit. We're on the nonprofit side. But if I look through my life and I see where I have the choices I've made and the places I'm happiest, which is, I think, the way you figure out who you are in the world, and that continues, (laughs) you know, I wouldn't have, I think I would have said at 30, well, surely I'll know by 60, but uh, I might be different (laughs) at 80 again or at 70 again, but uh, really the, the the thing that I do is that that makes me happiest. And what I've done consistently is to make new things happen, bring new things into the world, including children.
0: Yeah, Yeah, right, right. Well, I so relate to that, because I also identify as an entrepreneur, you know, both just like, quote, unquote, regular entrepreneur, and then a social entrepreneur. I uh, started a nonprofit and run that. And you know, I just want to say, I started, uh, I didn't start, but kind of partway through my career, I was the first women's health policy advisor for our state under our governor. And I was also starting a family. And so I was living and working the issue of work life balance or work life integration, right? And (laughs) I also I had kids at 38 and 41. I know, and you're, you, yeah, you talk about having kids at thirty-eight and forty, huh? and just like me. Um, so I, I so relate to your story, and I, I was preparing for this interview this morning, and uh, a post popped up in my memories on the, you know, on Facebook, and um, it said it, <laughs> it made me laugh because I was like, this is so relevant for the interview I'm about to, to do today. Which and it said, you know, in between buying paper towels and going to a soccer game, I'm packing to go to The Hague to talk about women's workplace well being. And like, like, <laughs> what a crazy, you know, life we're, we're creating for ourselves here. And I know you've been through a lot of that yourself personally, and now you're working to solve some of these issues for for men, and women, though, right?
1: Yes, I focus. To me, we can't solve these issues unless we address men as much as we address women, unless we think parents, not mothers, Uh, or frankly, people who are caring for their own parents, because it isn't just uh, parents and children, but where children are involved. Uh, men actually have to be part of the solution and men I don't think we recognize enough how much men are deeply constrained by the social roles they are compelled to play to be men and that does not include care and it should because many of them feel that um, you know they're missing out on their kids childhoods the the, the they they want to be spending more time the difference is that a good father provides and so they don't get the social opprobrium if they're not watching their kid's soccer game whereas a woman uh immediately gets criticized if she's not there because a mother cares but that's the the social divide but both sides of that equation need to be changed.
0: So in terms of needing to change both sides of that equation, you know, a lot of people suggest that the solutions lay in the hands of the individuals. And I know that you go beyond that, and so do I in my work, to look at really sort of um, systems level changes. So what are you working on at, at that level that that really is going to make a shift in how we value Uh, the role of men and women?
1: The biggest thing we are working on that I'm working on personally, but the New America works on through our Better Life Lab, which has a wonderful series of stories and studies and policy advocacy, is increasing the value that our society places on care. Because the the simple way to think about it is that we are a society that highly values traditional men's work and values very little traditional women's work. So obviously, women who are at home caring for others get no value. They don't even get recognized in social security calculations. All that work, and it's so much work, just doesn't exist as work. It's not counted in our gross domestic product. It's not counted for... Benefits of any kind, but even paid care work. You know, some of the worst paid workers are home health care workers who are doing incredibly important work or child care workers. And then you get to teachers and advisors and social workers, all this work that's about investing in others and in none of it is valued. It's not valued economically and it's not valued socially. And if you say this is what you do for a living, people don't give you the same deference as if you say I'm a banker or a lawyer or a doctor. But it's hugely important work. And I always ask people, if women ran the world, wouldn't we think that teachers are a really valuable profession, wouldn't we think that investing in early education is one of the smartest things any society could do? Wouldn't we recognize that caring for those who cared for you when you think about elder care, uh, but also, again, the whole range of professions that involve investing in others. I always say care work is when you are, as the result of your work, Makes you deeply excited, but it's watching another person flourish. And that helps you flourish as opposed to work that we do that is really more about advancing our individual goals. And I believe all human beings should do both. And I'm not suggesting you know, care work is all fulfilling. Women have fought for centuries now to be rec- recognized as individuals and not just defined by their relationships to others. But we cannot, as a society, get to gender equality unless we, first of all, see the care economy for the foundational work that it is. Pay for it. Make time for it. Value it again in in how we think about. Uh, what we measure in statistics and what we reward. Uh, And at the greatest level, that really gets to the foundations of capitalism itself. We have an entire economic system that values output, uh, but does not recognize sort of human relationships and well-being. Uh, And so that's a very grand level. And I I and a number of others, mostly women, but not exclusively, are doing work on reinventing capitalism to to recognize sort of what we think of as the whole human being, beings who care as well as compete. And then much more specifically, the Better Life Lab has all sorts of tools about how to work better, uh, how to create uh, gender equality. But again, for men as much as for women and thinking about the nature of work and how we can all work better, and how we can all make more room for the people we care for.
0: Yeah, well, and I actually was going to ask you about about this because you know, in your book, Unfinished Business, you talk about ultimately it is society that needs to change, right? Yes. It's like it's, it can't just <laughs> can't just be up to us. And so, in order to to really do that, we we do need to address capitalism and our country's problem of overwork. Because we're we're expected yes. to work 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 like overwork, um, both men and now women are expected to do that, and so there's this this raising of the bar uh, in order to meet those standards. That is really. Um, Killing people, honestly. I mean it's making people sick and yes, and people are. Yes, the
1: stress level. Absolutely.
0: So what are some of the specific kind of policy areas? I know you you work with economists and, and you often refer to the sort of third metric of of, you know, let's look at well-being. And so what can you say about about that area of work?
1: So very specifically. We need things like paid family leave, not just paid parental leave, but paid family leave, really. Uh, indeed, Ai-jen uh, and Caring Across Generations has a proposal for family security accounts like Social Security, but where you would be able to draw on an account to care for anyone in your family. Uh, that essentially would be paid time off. That's that's essential, right? <laughs> the, you know, the, the, the worst conflict between work and family, you know, a sick child, a sick parent, The the sort of, when you must be there for someone you love versus your obligation in the workplace. And it is perfectly possible for people to do both. If And I have always run the organizations I lead on the premise that family comes first, and you take care of your family, and we know you'll get your work done. You are. And frankly, I don't want to hire I don't want anyone working for me who would put their work ahead of their family if if a family member were really in need. I'm not saying, you know, like you go to your kids soccer game rather than meeting a really critical deadline. Uh, But even there, I find if you treat people as professionals and you say, I expect you to get your work done, they do. And they're grateful for being able to make room for uh, the people in their lives that they love and care for.
0: Right. So it's really about, you know, supporting employers with uh, different sample policies and, and ways that they can really do that, so that they can operationalize that in their company to support their employees, and at the same time, uh, you know, still do do very well. And actually, it. it we we know that the research shows that when you do have great family-friendly workplace policies, you actually do better as a company because exactly. you have lower.
1: You're more productive. Yeah, more productive, lower turnover. Retention. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I'm speaking with Anne-Marie Slaughter on The Well Woman Show, and we'll be right back with Superpowers for Success. I'm so thankful for support from High Desert Yoga, promoting optimum physical health, clarity of mind, and spiritual inspiration for all. You're invited to join me for a brand new monthly group experience over in the Well Woman Academy. This is a monthly group that includes access to the full six-week course based on feminism, mindfulness, and the Well Woman Life Framework. It includes weekly groups, coaching sessions with me, as well as office hours and a private Facebook group to share and grow. Don't get me wrong, this is hard work. But with these tools, you will easefully find the time to do the course, get the coaching, and reach your goals monthly. If you find yourself worrying about whether you'll ever make it in the thing you're pursuing, waking up in the middle of the night with anxiety, lacking the energy you need to get everything done. Stuck in some aspects of leading your team, procrastinating on moving forward with projects and tasks, or in a leadership role, but second guessing yourself constantly? I'd love to introduce you to the Well Woman Academy. It's for smart, high achieving women changing the world who want to overcome anxiety, burnout, perfectionism, and insecurity. The result? You get to live your Well Woman Life, a life of joy, ease, and abundance, even when things are tough all around you. Visit Well Woman life dot com slash academy to learn more. We're back on the show and I'm speaking with Anne-Marie Slaughter, uh, author of Unfinished Business. Anne-Marie we're going to tackle the segment called Superpowers for Success, which is just a quick round of questions for listeners to really learn from your experiences and your takeaways from life. And the first question is, what does success in life mean for you? It's a moving target.
1: And it's certainly changed for me. Over the course of my lifetime, there was, you know, success was getting tenure or getting hired at a law school, getting tenure as a professor, uh, then absolutely being able to have children. The, the period I've written about between 35 and 38, when all I could think about was, am I going to be able to have a biological child, which is not to be all and all. Uh, and certainly I could have and probably would have adopted, but I, my husband and I uh, you know, were trying very hard for biological children. Uh, And then, then I started thinking of myself as a leader, but not till my late 30s or 40s. So then success is much more around success for you and for your organization. I think now I look around and I think success is... Figuring out who you really are, and that takes so long, and we talked about it in terms of being an entrepreneur, and it changes, and having the courage and capacity to exercise the talents that you have specifically and to achieve goals as you define them so that it's not about more conventional definitions of did you get to, you know, this hold this job or be this leader that I'm not saying that's not important, but I think over a lifetime, I look, I'm going to look back and think, how many people did I mentor? How many people did I enable to make a difference in in this world? Um, And, you know, family and friends and, and, work that is meaningful and fulfilling in terms of how, how you define uh, what matters to you.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting to me, because, you know, sort of my mother's generation, and she was born in the, in the 30s, late 30s, 40s. My mother's generation was really fighting to, um, you know, show the value of women as beyond, like you said, the, the, their relationships and their caregiving and then my generation i'm generation x um my generation is was really told like we can do anything we can be anything we can have it all and so we really started redefining our value as our relationship to work like our professional value and and now we're moving into i hope a different way of valuing women which is you know yes there's your career and yes there's uh things beyond relationships but there's also this greater impact of 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 you, what you're doing in the community and in the world and and going back a little bit to relationships and saying it's it's okay to want to be a mom and to and to want to you know be with your kids it, it's a, like all of the choices that women are making are okay
1: yes and and i think of this in terms of being whole human beings that Again, for so long, women were not allowed to be individuals. You know, my mother, if she wanted to be a doctor, they said, "You're going to go to med school. You're going to be a mother, a wife, a sister, a daughter. That is your your identity is defined in terms of your relationship to someone else." And absolutely, all human beings, to different degrees, depending on who they are and their good luck in in birth or not, um, want want to be able to fulfill a Individual identity. But what it's crazy to think that a whole half of human existence is not important. We are social beings. We would not have survived the first saber-toothed tiger if we didn't come together. We, you know, women are long-lived in part, we think, because grandmothers really make a big difference in terms of how uh, families survive. And the, the fulfillment of investing in others. You know, The reason women wanted to have it all is, yes, we wanted to be in the workforce, but we understood the deep satisfaction of being a mother or a daughter or a sister, of investing in others. And whole human beings should want both.
0: Okay. I have a few more questions that I want to get through quickly here for this segment. When did you know, Anne-Marie, that you were really good at what you do? <laughs>
1: My husband is still affirming me on a regular basis, so he would laugh. But I think late 30s, it's really funny. I, I, I really gained confidence in my and by my late 30s, I discovered that I could be a public speaker after having been so terrified of public speaking that I was curled up in a fetal ball thinking about you know doing a moot court in law school. And I discovered that I could lead and I gained confidence in what I thought and what I said, and in large part because of some really terrific men in my lives, my life, uh, mentors, and also my husband, who, who said, you know, why are you always apologizing for yourself? And uh, so it wasn't a. I by that point was a tenured professor at Harvard Law School. It wasn't external. It was internal. It was a sense of confidence that I actually could could make my way in the world.
0: Mm, I love that. Okay, describe a personal habit that contributes to your own well being so you can do everything you do. Ah. every
1: day uh reading reading and walking but reading absolutely and specifically I start every morning with a cup of coffee uh, and I'm reading something that I wouldn't read for work or or not fiction like so I read my way through the classics I've been reading the Bible for the last two plus years <laughs> I read a chapter every morning and it it isn't a religious exercise it's because I spend a half an hour, just centered in myself and connecting to the classics of humanity. Uh, next up, I'm going to read The Souls of Black Folk by W.E.B. E. Du Bois, who I, which I've never read.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's a good one. What superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time?
1: I think I've realized that I'm a, I'm a deep connector and I've always been a connector. I've always made things happen in part by connecting people to other people or it helped advance people by connecting people to other people. And only recently have I realized, you know, that's a thing that not everybody has that. And that is an essential quality that um, I can use much more deliberately than I ever have before.
0: Mm, okay. What advice would you give your younger self, say 25, 30 years old? I would tell my younger
1: self to understand that at 25, I was very different than I had been at 15. And to understand that at 35, I'm going to be that much more different from 25 and 45 to 35 and 55 to 45. But do you think she would have listened to you? I think that would have helped. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if it ever does, but I think we always we we look back and see how different we are. But we are incapable of projecting that forward. And yet, you know, at 60, I'm in a completely different place and I'm a quite different person than I was At 50, not completely. I believe we, you know, there's a core of who we are and we can change and improve, but we can't reinvent ourselves completely. But that growth can be just as great from 50 to 60 as from 15 to 25.
0: Okay, a couple last quick questions. What makes a good leader?
1: An appreciation of what you're good at and absolutely as important what you are not good at. The best leaders understand their faults as well as their virtues and understand how to compensate for them by surrounding themselves with teams who, who complement uh, their own advantages.
0: So that requires some real self-reflection and uh, deep personal growth. Yes. And that is, <laughs> that is something that I think I think is looked is sort of frowned upon. Sometimes it's sort of one of these soft skills, or, or you know, it, it's it's not taken seriously yet. Every woman, practically, that I interview, when we talk about leadership like talks about this at at some point. I think that's
1: absolutely right. I will say that the person who first told it to me was a man, uh, John Sexton, who was then became president of NYU. And so I think it is not only women. I think it's good leaders understand that. But I agree with you that the process of getting there is a process I refer to as radical honesty. And often we only get to that when we have a real setback or a failing and we realize, whoa, I've got to do things differently. But if you don't know yourself, you cannot possibly lead others.
0: Yeah, it's that's great. Because one of the things we try to do with the Well Woman show and our whole community is help people get to that radical honesty before the breakdown, (laughs) before the tragic (laughs) thing happens. (laughs) Imagine that. You're hearing me laugh from rueful experience. (laughs) Yeah, right. Okay, last question, Emory. do you identify as a feminist?
1: I absolutely do. In fact, I just added feminists to my Twitter profile. I believe in equality. I, I think of that as a patriot, as an American. I believe in equality. And there are many, many ways in which we need to uh, work for equality, whether it's economic or racial. But gender equality is a big piece of that. We would be a far better country, a far better world if women and men were truly equal. And I say that for men as well as for women.
0: Okay. And what do you say to people who don't like the word feminist, but when you ask them about their feminism, they describe themselves as working for equality?
1: You know, I don't think it's critical that everybody adopt the same label, but I think it's important that they understand that the roots of the word feminism or when it really came into into fashion was a time where women were still tre- treated as pieces of meat that, you know, you got whistled at on the street. You know, the, the early feminists, obviously you go back to the 19th century feminists trying to make sure we weren't property and that we had the right to vote, but that it it isn't a, this notion that it's some militant small group of crazy women identity, that's ridiculous. Feminism just means that you are striving uh, for gender equality.
0: Okay, Emory marie Slaughter on The Well Woman Show. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: It's such a pleasure. It's a great show.
0: That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your well woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join our community. As a reminder, we are on NPR every week. So be sure to tune in at npr.org slash podcasts and search for The Well Woman Show. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment and subscribe and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.